to welcome you to the fifth week of a series that we're calling The Church. And uh, we've been exploring uh, what in the world is this thing called the church. Uh, we, we sort of are using as a foundation that we, uh, we, we, you may have heard of said, whether you grew up in the church or whether you didn't grow up in the church, you, you've probably heard it said somewhere uh, that the church is, is not a building, it's made up of people. And, and that's true, and we're using that foundation uh, as, as sort of our launching point to talk more about what is the church, what are these people to do. And uh, sort of where we've been so far is we begin just by talking about uh, ownership of the church, that we have to realize uh, that this is God's church. He's promised to build it. He has promised to protect it. And so we can move forward in faith, uh, regardless of whatever efforts may come against the church, uh, we can move forward in great confidence and boldness that God has promised to protect this thing called the church. Uh, We also talked about how to come to church. Like uh, many of you have been going to church for so long, you maybe have forgotten on what is a great way to come to church and to attend church. And we talked about how we come in order to remember and then to celebrate and then to respond. And that's a great framework for us as we remember the gospel and what Jesus has done on our behalf. It leads us to a celebration uh, that we ought to have a, a heart of joy and celebration when we come to church. And then the way in which we give honor and reverence to God is that we respond to him. Uh, we, we listen to what he wants to say to us on a Sunday morning, and then we act or respond in obedience. And uh, then we talked about evangelism and allowing our lives to spill over into the lives of other people that we know. And then last week, uh, we, we talked, we begin to nail down specifically what is our life together supposed to look like? That as a community, as the body of Christ, as a local church that are, that are doing our best to live life together, what is that supposed to look like? And uh, we looked at Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 13, and, and Paul starts that passage off by saying that love is authentic, that love is secure, that, that there's nothing false or um, there, there's nothing inauthentic about what love is. And, and so he says, he makes this bold statement that love is in fact sincere, and then he gives us all sorts of really practical ways of how to act in loving ways toward one another as a community. And some of those things were to honor one another. And we talked about how honoring one another is is seeing the needs of others as more important than our own. That if you're in conflict with someone, if you can do your best to put yourself in their shoes and, and see what needs that they have that need to be met and seek to meet those needs in the midst of conflict instead of your own needs. And as both parties are doing that, true resolution comes about. And, and so there's all sorts of ways that we can honor one another, but we talked specifically about that. And, and then we, we talk, Paul gives us uh, some more instructions on how love operates inside of the community. We honor one another, uh, but we also make sure that one another's needs are met, that need, anyone that finds himself in need in our community, it is our collective role to meet them. And, and we talked about how sometimes our, our, our tendency is to become aware of a need, call the pastor, and then wash our hands of the need and say, I did my part. And I encouraged all of you that, yes, we want to know that church leaders want to know of needs, and we want to do our best to help meet those needs. But what would happen is that as a community, we just together, Together decided that if we see a need and are resourced to be able to meet it, that we just met the need. And, and that there's this direct channel of meeting each other's needs in the community, and that would be love expressing itself uh, in, in our community. And then we talked about Paul, who also says we ought to practice hospitality among one another. And so we, we really talked, it was intensely practical last week. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen to it on the podcast. Uh, some really great ways about how we can begin to demonstrate love among one another and allow love to really operate in our community life together. Today, what I want to do is I want to pick up on that, and I want to, be, I want to continue the conversation about how, what our community life ought to look like, but I want to really uh, bring it down to a personal level, where last week we were sort of floating at 10,000 feet and saying these are good ideas, and we should practice these, and so now go and do them. Today, what I want to talk to you about is, yes, our community life together, but, but begin to bring that down to personally, what can you do, and what part can you 
play. And so uh, we're going to be talking much more personally today. And I actually want to use the passage of Scripture that comes just previous to the one we looked at last week. So last week we were in Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. Today I want to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, uh, turn there with me. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. And uh, there, if, you don't have, if you didn't bring your Bible today, there should be a Bible in, in the rack somewhere uh, close to you. You can break out your phone or your iPad or we'll have it displayed up here. Uh, it doesn't matter what form it comes in. It's all God's Word. It's the same Word. So uh, we, don't matter, we don't care if it's electronic or in print. Uh, we, would, we just want to make sure that God's Word is with us uh, in, in our hearts wherever we go. So Romans chapter 12, let's read verses 3 through 8. You can follow along with me. It says this. For the grace of God given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace that has been given to each of us. And if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. And if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, Paul begins in a rather um, confusing way. Verse 3 seems to have nothing to do with when he begins talking about one member and and, and one body and many members. He, He begins by telling us that we shouldn't think too highly of ourselves, but we ought to think of ourselves in accordance with the faith that God has given us. And and I got to tell you that that this is a passage that has a lot of misunderstanding, at least as I see it in the church, because I see a lot of people uh, that be that really think when they come to this passage and others that that as Christians, we can't have self-confidence. That as Christians, we we ought to be sort of continually and always aware of our brokenness and our terrible sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And, And I believe that that's a misunderstanding of this passage. Now, don't hear me incorrectly. I'm not saying that you don't need to be aware of your need for a Savior. We all do. It is a good thing to be aware of our need for God. But this 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 passage and that misunderstanding refuses or denies the kinds of things that God speaks over us as his children. And and so we have to come to this passage and really begin to put it in context. Because when we look at the whole of scripture, what we see is that God speaks all sorts of magnificent things over you. That he calls you a child of God. He calls you saved by grace. He says that you will be washed wider than snow than through the blood of Jesus. That you are brought, that, that you have a righteousness. And the righteousness is not of your own. If you believe the righteousness is, is of your own, then that's, then that's pride. But he does say that you have a righteousness that has been given to you through faith in Christ. And so I get get kind of frustrated when I hear Christians begin to speak so poorly of themselves and of other Christians in the name of just being aware of our need for a Savior. That we begin to believe that we're so broken, that that, that we're constantly caught in this cycle of sin. And we have, again, we have to put this passage into context. What Paul is saying to us is not, as a Christian, you have to have a low self-esteem and be continually uh, sort of um, and, and broken. We need to be broken before God. So I want to make sure that my language is clear here. We can't allow ourselves to be robbed of victory because we think too lowly of ourselves. Okay? Because if you live in this lowliness, you will rob yourself of the victory that God has for you. Because you will constantly believe that you are caught in a cycle of sin. It's like this. Some people will say that the grace of God does nothing but cover us. And that is to say that, that the grace of God is, 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 is sort of the, the, the blood of Jesus 
covers us. And then when, when, we, when we have this sin issue in our life, which we all have, grace covering us says, God, because of the blood of Jesus and his grace, has done nothing but turned a blind eye to our sin. And that's not scriptural at all. What the scripture says is not that grace simply covers us, but that grace cleanses us. Are you with me now? There's an important distinction there. And so if we believe that grace, in fact, cleanses us, that sin no longer has to have the seat of our heart, that sin no longer has to rule in our lives, but we can have as our Savior, Jesus, who gives us a righteousness that does not belong to us, but belongs and comes to us through Him, that we can live in victory. That we can have this assurance and this confidence, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. It's early in the sermon and I'm preaching already. Okay? That's an important distinction. Some will come to this passage and say, oh, Christians, we ought to have a low self-esteem. We ought to think really lowly of ourselves. Let's put it in context. Paul says, do not think too highly of yourselves, but consider yourself in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. In other words, let's use as a benchmark not our righteousness because the righteousness is not our own, nor our failure because we don't want to live there, but rather let's consider ourselves in accordance with the faith that we've been given. In other words, faith is sort of the great equalizer that all of us, because of the faith that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, that has been given to us through the Holy Spirit, there's this, there's, there's this equality among all of us. There's this unity among all of us. And what Paul then, the danger is, Paul is not saying to us, don't have an assurance or a confidence, but rather Paul is saying to us, don't place yourself above someone else. If we use faith as the benchmark, we're all, we're all on equal ground. And so Paul is warning us, against, uh, warning us against the tendency that we have to think of ourselves as better than other people. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but consider yourself in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. Does that make sense? Now that's really important for where Paul goes from there. If we don't understand it in this way, when Paul starts talking about many members but one body, it seems really disconnected. But if we consider it in this way, then all of a sudden it begins to make sense because what Paul is saying is that if we all, as indeed we are, are many members but making up one body, we cannot think of ourselves as being better than someone else in the community. And so he's, he's, he's really drawing us in toward community. He's, wanting us, he's warning us against raising ourselves above other people. And, and saying to us that all of us are equal in the body of Christ. And that's critically important then for what he goes on to say about fulfilling our gifts and, and, and operating in that body as we are to do it. So does that make sense? We've got we to understand that in order to get to the whole passage. Now let me illustrate it to you this way. How many of you have ever been in an orchestra or a choir? Raise your hand. Many of you, okay? Orchestra or choir. In orchestra and in choir, there are clear divisions among you. In an orchestra, the strings think that they're all that because they hold the melody most of the time, right? And even if you get, so they're, so they're like, you have all these pieces in the orchestra, but the strings are sort of like, you know, they're, they're, uh, cocking their hip and letting their backbone slip a little bit, you know, and they're just kind of like, we're awesome. We're better than all of you guys. And, uh, and even if you go into the strings, then the violins are the people that think that they're, that they're you know, above everyone else. Uh, I've never been in an orchestra, but I've been in a choir. And, uh, you know, there's just this sort of this, I like to call it the soprano attitude, because I was a bass, and people were like, you know, you could do with the basses, you could do without the basses, it doesn't really matter, you know? In a choir, it's just like, you could be there, you could not be there, we don't care. Cause the, and so the sopranos are like, we hold the melody, you know, we are the most important piece of this whole deal. And even among the sopranos, it's like the first sopranos think they're the best because high notes bless people. <laughs> That's what they like to believe, Right? 
And they're like, man, that sounds kind of shrilly. And they're like, no, it's all good. You know, high notes bless people, you know. So, this, you know, so even though there's like all these divisions, right, in, in the orchestra. So, yeah, first you have the strings and the sopranos and the first sopranos. Uh, but, but then you have uh, the wind section. And in the wind section, it's the flute and the oboes that think they're better than everybody else. And, and even the wind section would ha- say, we're much better than the brass section. I mean, kind of at the bottom of the totem pole is the brass section. And in the brass section, if, if you're a trombone or if you're a, a trumpet, then you're, you're, the, you're the key person. You're the key piece. You know, like without the trumpet, the orchestra just couldn't exist. And, and the trumpet... Trumpet players are like pick on the trombone players, you know. They're like, ha look at you with your big old, you know. And they just, you know, like, what's you got? You know, you ain't got nothing. And, and then, like, there is nothing lower on the totem pole than a trombone except for the tuba because you have to wear it. And then there's only one thing lower than the tuba, and that's the triangle. Ding. Ding. You know. And so in, we have all these divisions, and, and you th- the tendency in a choir or an orchestra is to elevate yourself as better than the other pieces of the orchestra. But let me tell you, it doesn't take very long before the first sopranos and the, and the violins realize that they need all the other pieces to sound good. Because a soprano without the bass is just a shrill. And the bass without the soprano is no melody. Bum, 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 bum. And they're like, where's the melody in that? I'm not inspired, right? And so, it's the same thing in the church. Our tendency, I think, is to begin to elevate ourselves above one another based on all sorts of factors. And based on the fact that that's really what we're taught to do in our culture based on the color of our skin, based on the gender, based on our economic status, based on what neighborhood we live, we tend to elevate ourselves. And Paul says that in the community that God is building, we cannot use that benchmark. That we are all on equal ground at the foot of the cross in accordance with our faith. And so let's not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But let's think of ourselves in accordance with the faith that God has given to us. And let's all have that confidence, have that assurance of who we are in Christ, of what he has done on our behalf, so that together we can move forward boldly. That's what Paul is warning against. And so there's, he's painting for us and he's encouraging us toward this beautiful picture. So that if we, if we have this unity, then, then we're able to begin operating in our gifts. And he says, if, if, if your gift is, is giving prophecy, then let's do that. Prophecy, by the way, this is a side note. Prophecy is not just future telling. It's not looking into a crystal ball and seeing the future. Prophecy is a timely word for the people of God from God. Now, sometimes that includes what is going to happen in the future. So God says, through the prophets in in Israel, he says, there is a Messiah that will come to you. Yes, that's, that's a declaration about the future, but we can't just push that only to the future. It's a timely word for the people of God from the word of God. And so the prophet, in many ways, I can consider myself to be a prophet because each week we gather together and I speak to you a timely word about how you can begin to form our lives around the kingdom of God. And so if your gift is giving prophecy, then, then do that. If your gift is, is being generous, then, then give generously. And he's saying all of these sorts of things. And that is hinging, hinging on the point that we all have this unity among one another. And so he gives us this beautiful picture of this orchestra that's working together, that's perfectly in tune. Because if the orchestra, if all these pieces dropped out, at the, best, at the very best, they would sound bad. And at the very worst, they would be out of tune. Right? When we start losing pieces, the best picture is still bad. And Paul says the same is true for the church. And he gives us this beautiful picture. But that's... Not always how it is in the church, is it? I mean, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you say, man, that's a beautiful picture. That maybe isn't my experience. And I think there's, there's something really important that we have to realize 
that robs the church of this working together, this unity, this orchestra for the kingdom of God. And that is when we, when we come to church as consumers and not as contributors. And consumerism in the church. Consumerism in the church is, is this. Believing that the church exists to make things easy for me. That's consumerism. For those of you that are here today and you're our guests and you're looking for a church home, I would encourage you to, to go about your, your, your church shopping. And it's okay to church shop. It's just not okay to church hop, right? We've talked about all that. But you're, you're, you're going around and you're shopping and you're trying to find the right community. May I encourage you with a viewpoint of how to choose a church. Don't go to the church and, and begin to, to take a scan of all the ministries and begin to say, what does this place have to offer me? That's consumerism. The church exists to meet my every need and make things easy for me. But if you're church shopping today, may I encourage you to go about and say, what is the driving force behind this ministry? And can I get behind that and contribute to the life of that church to help them fulfill their mission? So what you need to align yourself with is not how perfectly they meet your every need in your life. But what you need to align yourself with is their philosophy of ministry, their mission to go about the to, to build the kingdom of God, their, their ministry structure, all of these things, if you can get behind that, then start contributing to the life of the church. And so it's a way of saying, how can I align myself with a place where I can contribute versus where I want to attend, where I can just consume? Here's an example, or many examples. When we believe that the church exists just to make things easy for us and to serve our every need, we come to expect that the second I walk in the door, I want to have a latte. Boom! And I want, I want to be, I want, I want to be uh, every, everything ought to be easy, which means that the message shouldn't be more than 20 minutes. If that's you today, you will not like this church. I'm long-winded. Right? And so we want a latte right when we open the door. Boom! We want to sit down. We want the, the seats to be nice and cushy. We want the message to be no longer than 20 minutes. And we certainly don't want the message to talk about Jesus and what I'm supposed to do and the decision that I need to make about this person named Jesus. I don't want to talk about that. In fact, let's just talk about something that we all have in common. We're all going through a recession right now. And so instead of talking about Jesus and the gospel and sin and a savior, let's talk about the recession instead. Let's talk about how the, the economy really sucks and how we can all just be an encouragement through it. And so that way, we're not really talking about Jesus. We're just talking about sort of this thing that's on all on equal ground. There's no offense taken to the, to the, to the message because I'm not being challenged in any way. I'm just going to be lifted up and encouraged. Now, we want you to be lifted up and encouraged while you're being challenged. That's when you know that you're loved. If you have a mentor in your life, in business or whatever, you ought to leave your meeting with your mentor feeling like you've just been beat up and you have a smile on your face. Okay? And that's what I want church to be for you. I want church, I want you to come to church to be challenged by God, to hear from Him. Not just talk about everything that we can all agree on. Not just say, oh, this is great and we all agree on this and, and that we all think this is great. And now let's go and, and just put smiles on our face. Let's come to hear from God. But if we're a consumer, we don't, we're not interested in that because it's not easy. And if we're a consumer, we believe that the church exists just to make things easy for me. And I want you to dismiss me in a timely manner. Because my breadsticks at Olive Garden are getting cold. And I want you to send me on my way home by retina scanning me, shooting my kid down a slide, and my kid ought to have a new t-shirt, and I certainly don't want you to talk about Jesus to my kid. I just want you to give them good advice, like do not lie and be nice to their friends. I don't want them to learn anything in e-kids that they can't learn from Dora the Explorer. I want you just to give them good advice, not good news of Jesus and the gospel. That's a consumer. Y'all are getting squirmy. A consumer believes that the church exists specifically to make their life easy. And if you're just consuming the church, here's what happens. 
You've come to believe that your needs are commodities that can be met in a moment. You know what a commodity is? It's material that can be bought, sold, or traded. And so we begin to see things like community, spiritual maturity, as commodities that can be met in an instant by a finely polished church service, by a well-oiled ministry, and we remove ourselves from the process necessary to breed those things. Because let me tell you, your community life and your spiritual maturity are not commodities that can be bought, sold, or traded, or given to you in an instant. They require process. And what happens is when we consume church, we see a need in our life for spiritual maturity. We see a need in our life for community. And we go to the church and we say, it is your role to meet these things for me. But I cannot make you spiritually mature. And I cannot give you community. You have to be involved in the process. We can set up structures that will give you opportunity for community. We can set up discipleship programs, and I can do my best to preach good sermons that will help you go along in spiritual maturity. But let me tell you, if your only road to spiritual maturity is my preaching on Sunday morning, you are in a world of hurt. Now, I don't think I'm a bad preacher, but I don't think I'm all that great either. Okay? And so you've got to be involved in the process. Consumerism takes us out of the process. Let me read to you this quote that I came across this week. And uh, it, it's, it's a bit like swimming through mud. So you've got to stay with it. But if you get it, it's very, very powerful. So stick with me through this quote. Consumers find freedom in devices that deliver what they value, becoming dependent on those devices, and embracing a device paradigm that shapes their view of life. Over time, consumers lose all sense of the value of process. They think technologically, expecting their needs to be addressed through devices, even though those needs cannot be commoditized. I contend that American evangelicals have learned to think of spiritual maturity and community as commodities. They expect their churches to provide the devices necessary for enjoying those commodities with minimal engagement in the processes they require to cultivate and create them. Churches grow if their programs and services seem to deliver what is expected, yet neither maturity nor community is a commodity, and neither can be enjoyed without full participation in process. And the result is ironic. Churches that are most effective in delivering a product are least effective in making disciples. I wonder how many of you today, in need of community, in need of spiritual maturity, have removed yourself from the process, from, from the process and called upon the church to meet those needs in an instant for you. If that's you today, may I lovingly say to you, you have become a consumer of church and not a contributor. Now, all of this sounds a bit like a catering service. And I have a picture of what a catering service might look like. In, in, a, in a catering service, uh, there are few people that are serving, and lots of people that are receiving the benefit. And and I have to be honest with you that really the the landscape of the American church is is that church is a catering service. Did you know that in a typical church, 10% of the community is serving the the other 90%? 10% is serving the other 90%. That sounds a lot like a, like a, a, a catering service to me. Because what happens is, is we want godly kids. And, and so we, 
We drop our kids off at E-Kids and expecting that in the one hour that our very talented, dedicated E-Kids teachers who are doing an excellent job on Sunday morning, we expect that in that one hour that our kids will, be, will come to know God and come to love God. And so we, we sort of outsource the spiritual development of our kids to, to the church. We remove ourselves from the process and become consumers of children's ministry. Or, or we say, you know, I want, I want deep teaching. I want to go into the Bible. And, and if a sermon doesn't teach me at least two Greek words, then it was too shallow. Right? If I don't learn a little bit of Greek up in here, then it's not very good. And so I want the, I want the don't, don't just give me the gospel every week. That's boring. People will say, I want it to be deep. And what you've done is you've outsourced your spiritual development to the preacher and removed yourself from the process. If you want to learn some Greek, we'll teach you some Greek every now and then, but you ought to learn some Greek if you want to. And good luck. Because I tried. And if you, get really, if you get really aggressive, you can learn some Hebrew. And then you'll just come to me with tears in your eyes. And I'll say, I warned you. Some people come and they say, now give me some community. I expect that someone will call me every weekend to hang out from the church so that I can experience community. And if they don't call me every weekend to hang out, then I'm going to go to the next place. And I'm going to say, you know what, I just could never connect in that place. You have to involve yourself in the process of community. I can't give it for you. That's a catering service. And in all honesty, church, that is where the modern American church is. 10% of the people serving the other 90%. And what a catering service does is it removes myself from the process. It's a, think of it like this. I don't care how this five-star meal was made. I just want to enjoy it. And that is the landscape of American culture. I don't care how this was made. I just want to enjoy the final product. I don't care what the working conditions were. I don't care what the age of the workers were. I don't care what they're getting paid. I just want the final product. And we bring that mindset into the church. I don't want to be involved in the process. I just want to enjoy the five-star meal. And what Paul outlines here is much different than that. He says that together we form the body of Christ. And just as you and I together form this body of Christ, there are lots and lots of different parts. There are many members, but one body, Paul says. And he gives us a picture that is not at all like a catering service, but much more like a distribution center. In a distribution center, everyone is working toward a common goal. And in a distribution center, it's like there's something that is housed in that center that they're trying to send out all over the world. I mean, could we, could we begin to think of ourselves not as a catering service, but as a distribution center, as a church? I mean, what if we really made this shift in mindset where we said all of us, absolutely every one of us, have something valuable to give, that we want to work toward a common goal, and, and the thing that we want to send out into the world is Jesus and the gospel and the good news and the kingdom of God. We don't want to just house it in here. We don't want just a 10% of us working for the kingdom of God and the 90% just enjoying it, we all together have something to offer. We want to take this message and begin to send it out as though we're a distribution center. Because what, what Paul's vision of community is, it's an open hand community. I give of my time. I give of my money. I give of myself. I give for the mutual benefit of the kingdom of God and other people. And as what happens is this, as you serve And as you get involved in the process, you get to enjoy the process and the final final product. That's the beauty. 
Some people will believe that if I involve myself in the process, if it's a catering service and I go back into the kitchen, I miss out on the five-star meal. The Paul's vision for, for a godly community is let's all get together and as we all experience life in this open-hand community and as we all do life with an open hand, we get to all the value and all the encouragement of being part of the process, but we also get to enjoy the final product. It's a beautiful picture that Paul gives us. I give so that the name of Jesus will be made famous in Fort Collins and in the world. I give not to promote a product called Jesus that is nicely packaged, but I promote, uh, but, I, but I give in order to promote the kingdom of God and the way of Jesus and to offer people a hope beyond all hopes. And I feel like this so many times we've turned Jesus into a product, put a nice little bow on him, said, if you say this prayer, your life will be made better. And what we need to say is that Jesus is a person. He requires a relationship and he gives us a hope through all the junk of life that allows us to walk through it with dignity, with honor for God and for other people. And we begin to participate in this new way of life called the kingdom of God. But it requires something of us. And the way in which we go to church so often where we want to remove ourselves from the process is often then the way we approach our relationship with Jesus. We become consumers of Jesus. What can Jesus give me? Now that's certainly a part of it because Jesus, the Savior of the world, has a lot to offer us. But we have to involve ourselves in the process. Jesus requires a relationship. Faith is not a one-time thing. Faith is a habit, a lifestyle. And so many times we've said, I I had this one-time faith and I opened the box called Jesus. Now I'm getting to heaven when I die. Now I can live like hell. And Jesus says, I did not die on a bloody cross so you can live like hell. I died on a bloody cross so that you would give your allegiance to the way that I personified the way of the kingdom of God. And it requires something of you, just as it required something of him. How cheapened we have made the cross and all that it required of Jesus by believing that this requires nothing of us. That's a consumer mindset. And it's crippling the church. I'm convinced, Pastor. What do I need to do? Involve yourself in the process. For some of you, for some of you, the first step will be involve, begin involving yourself in the process again with your relationship with Jesus. You've been consuming Jesus and that's it. And he requires something of you. What does he require? That will look different for each of us, but begin to see that. You know, this is not the only place that that Paul talks about this. In fact, he talks about it more extensively in 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, I I believe that the Word of God is is powerful. And I believe that the Word of God has life-changing power. And so today, I want to read to you, without you in your Bibles, without the words up on the screen, I want you to be listeners and hearers of the Word, that you might go and be doers of the Word, as James says. So I want to read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that where Paul talks more extensively about this. And I, and I have a few words to say about 1 Corinthians 12, but this is not a two-for-one Sunday where I'm just going to start all over, okay? So I, I promise uh, we're bringing this thing in for a landing. Here it comes. This is from a, a translation of the New Testament called the Kingdom New Testament. And this is 1 Corinthians 12. Now about things related to the Spirit's work, my brothers and sisters, I don't want you to remain ignorant. For you know that when you were still pagans, you were led off and you were carried away again and again after speechless idols. So I want to make it clear to you that nobody who is speaking by God's Spirit ever says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different types of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different types of service, but the same Lord. There are different types of activity, but it is the same God who operates all of them in everyone. The point of the Spirit being revealed in each one of us is so that all may benefit. 
One person is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit, and another a word of knowledge by the same Spirit, and another faith through the same Spirit, and another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and another working of mighty deeds, another prophecy, another one given the ability to distinguish spirits, another various kinds of languages, another the interpretation of those languages. It is of one Spirit, the same one, whose work produces all of these things, and the Spirit gives different gifts to each one in a accordance with what the spirit spirit's own wishes. So let me explain. Just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many are all one body. So also is the Messiah for we were all baptized into one body by one spirit, whether Jew or Greek slave or free. We were all given one spirit to drink. For the body indeed is not one member, but many. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body, now would it? And if the ear were to say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, that wouldn't make it less any part of the body, now would it? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were a sense of hearing, where would this be? Where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has organized the members, placing each one individually in the the body according to his wishes and if all were parts of one body where would the body be so the result is this there are many members but there is one body the eye cannot say to the hand i don't need you and again the head can't say to the feet i don't need you but no the bodies of the part which seem to be weaker are all the more necessary and we give much greater honor to the parts of the body that we reckon more dishonorable so that the parts that we hide in shame will have far greater dignity in fact, God has made this, the body a single organized whole. He has given greater honor to the lesser parts so that there won't be any division in the body. Or, as he says in Romans, so that we won't think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But that all the members might have the same concern for one another. That if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is exalted, then all the members celebrate along with it. Now you together are the Messiah's body, and individually you are members of it. In the church, God has placed apostles and prophets, teachers and powerful deeds and gifts of healing and helpful deeds and organizational gifts and different types of language. Not everyone is an apostle, are they? Not everyone is a prophet, are they? Not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone does powerful deeds. Not everyone has gifts of healing. Not everyone speaks in tongues and not everyone interprets. But you should be eager for the better kinds of gifts. And now I'm going to show you a better way, a much better way. And it leads right into 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. That in the midst of all of these things, the operating force is the love among us. This is an expounding of what Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12. And there's one thing that sticks out to me that I want to I touch on as we end this message. He says, now together, you are the Messiah's body. And individually, you are members of it. If Paul was from the south, he, he would have said, Now y'all are Messiah's body. Now you together are Christ's body. And individually, you are members of it. What I'm calling you today is to move away from consumerism and get involved in the process of your own spiritual development, of your own community, and in the mission of this church. As we go about to do our best to proclaim the good news of the gospel in Fort Collins and around the world, many of you will be tempted to come in on Sunday morning, consume what is offered, and then go out. But let me tell you that we have structured this church in such a way that if you are just a consumer, it won't be long before you will be unhappy. The best way to enjoy the benefits of this community is to get involved in the process. And what happens when we do that, when we step in from being, when we, when we make the step of, of being a consumer and we step in to be a contributor, what happens is there's a, there's a fundamental shift that happens. And the shift is this. It, it goes from, Emmaus Road goes from being the church that I attend to the church that I'm a part of. 
It, it, it goes from, from being, oh, that church over there, and I happen to, to warm a seat on Sundays, to this is my church. This is our church. Anyone that comes up to me and says, Pastor Andy, I love what you are doing. I know that person is a consumer of church. Because they've said all the responsibility and all the ownership is on me, is on the leadership. They don't have any ownership of them for themselves. Pastor Andy, I love what we are doing. How can we together make a difference? What can I do to come alongside the vision and the heart of the leadership of the church? That's the fundamental shift. That church I go to, my church. And I would encourage all of you today, my hope and my prayer is that all of you would be a part of Emmaus Road. I serve with E-Kids and the audiovisual team. I'm part of Emmaus Road. Hi, my name's Josh. I serve with ESM and I'm part of Emmaus. Hi, I'm Karen Downing. I come in on Sunday mornings and I set up the uh, Welcome Center for Sunday mornings and I'm part of Emmaus Road. I'm Alan. I serve on the Connection team and I'm part of Emmaus. I'm Rosalind. I serve on the worship team and I'm a part of Emmaus. My name is Kelly. I serve with E-Kids and I'm part of Emmaus Road. I'm Kevin and I help with sound and I'm part of Emmaus Road. I'm Nancy Weisslein and I back up Karen on Sunday mornings in the Welcome Center. I also send out emails when our friends are missing on Sunday morning and I'm part of Emmaus Road. I'm Stephen Hall. I do audio video and I play the guitar and I'm a part of Emmaus Road. Hi, my name is Kelly and I am the events director and I'm part of Emmaus Road. On your seat this morning was a contributor card. And uh, again, I want to stress that we, we don't have you fill out these cards just so I can feel good or get your information or pat ourselves on the back. When we have cards for you to fill out, this is your response to what God is doing in your heart. And I would encourage you to give it that sort of weight that the way in which we show reverence to God is to not only hear his word, but to begin to respond in obedience. This is a list of some of the opportunities to serve at Emmaus. It's not exhaustive, but it's pretty extensive. And uh, I would encourage all of you that God is speaking to you and you're ready to get involved and you want to begin making that move from just consuming to contributing to fill it out. And even right now, take a a moment to fill it out and uh, see where God would have you. And I know that when, we, when it comes to serving and volunteering in the church, there, there are lots of barriers that we face. I, I recognize that. Some of the barriers that you might face are, I, I don't know my gifts. I'm looking at this list. I have no idea in what way I can contribute. And here's my encouragement to you. If that's you today and you're here and you're like, I don't know my gifts. I don't know what they are. There's two things that I would encourage you to do. Number one, we would be happy to offer you a spiritual gifts test where you would begin to see and, and that would give you at least a starting point of understanding how God has gifted you. And the other thing I would encourage you to do is jump in. Try something out. These are not, if I sign my name, I'm going to be serving in this area for the, until Jesus comes back. Okay? That is not what you're signing up to do today. I am not asking you to sign it in blood. Or I'm not asking you for any distinguishing birthmarks. I'm not asking you for anything intimidating. I'm asking you to take a step. To begin involving yourself in the process of what God wants to do in you and through you. Some of you also might say that my talents can't be used in the church. That I'm looking at the landscape of what the church and the ministry does and and my talents just don't fit into a church context. Let me tell you today, that is a lie of the enemy and he's trying to keep your gift out of the church. I don't care what your gift is. It can be used for the kingdom of God and inside the local church. Some of you might also say, I don't have time to serve. And I know you're busy. We all are busy. The good news is we have a multitude of opportunities that include several hours a week 
to whenever you have time. And so don't let your crunched schedule keep you from what God wants to do in your life. Listen to me. Sometimes when we talk about tithing and giving, I say, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I want you to respond in obedience to giving your full tithe. I would say the same thing here. I don't want anything from you today. I want something for you. Because I believe that as you move from a consumer to a contributor, that you're opening yourself up to the work of God in your life in a way that you've not done before. And you're going to see his power move through your life in a, in a tremendous way. This is a, is, this is a step towards spiritual maturity for some of you. And so hear me today. I don't want something for you, from you. I want something for you. I want to highlight just a couple of opportunities that are on this sheet. Uh, we, have, we have sheets in the Welcome Center. If you look at these and you have no idea what these mean, we have descriptions, time requirements, all of that stuff in the Welcome Center for all of these areas. We just couldn't fit it on a half sheet. Um, so let me highlight just a few. Connection team, if you are a people person, if you have a passion to see people grow in their faith and get connected to other people, this is a great team for you. This includes uh, our, our outreach team. It includes our um, greeters. It includes the people that, that work the information center so that when you go to sign up, you have a friendly face and uh, a warm handshake to um, sign up and welcome you there. So connection team is for people, people. We want to have, we have a brand new team that we want to start called the safety team. We want to have people every Sunday just on hand. Should anything happen, if there's a a medical emergency, this includes medically trained people. And so if you're in that group, this is simply, you're available on a Sunday morning. Should anything happen, you're ready to jump into action. And so that's a brand new team that we want to start. We have a creative team. We want to give you the best experience on Sunday morning that you, we possibly can. We believe that, that God is, is the creator and that his church ought to be more creative than anywhere else. But if you ask me, I'm terrible. If you ask me to name something, I will name it Sunday morning church, right? I'm just not creative. I'm not that guy. We need people who are idea people to help us present the gospel with excellence and to meet a couple times a month. Folks, can I be honest with you? We want to begin reaching out more and more to families and we do not have the volunteer power necessary. We want to start a, a class that is specifically for elementary age kids. Right now, we're doing, we're doing a, the best that we possibly can with our resources and e-kids, but we have ages three through fifth grade in one class. And that's not good for the kids It's challenging for the teachers. If you have a heart for elementary kids and you can serve once or twice, hopefully twice a month, we would love to have you serve in our Pathfinders. We're also looking for... We're also looking at e-kids for special friends. As we have kids come in that have special needs, we would love to to provide them with one-on-one attention so that they can have the best experience possible and get that firm foundation of faith. And then there's a, we have our support teams behind the scenes, nothing glamorous, cutting grass, trimming bushes. Well, that's not ministry. That's just cutting a bush. Yeah, it is ministry. Because your volunteer power frees up financial resource for us to do more things. So we need a landscape team. There's lots of opportunities here. Take a moment to fill it out right now. And if you don't want to fill it out now and think about it, or if you want to go to the Welcome Center afterwards, please feel free to do that. This is a great way for you to respond to God. If you're in the 90% that's just being served here at the church, jump in and become a contributor and not just a consumer.